Greetings, family, and welcome to The Journey Continues, the Cities United podcast. My name is Anthony Smith, and I'll be your host each month as we take this journey together to reimagine public safety. Cities United is a national network that supports mayors, community leaders, and young leaders from all across the country who are committed to creating safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young Black men and boys and their families. On each episode, you will hear from key stakeholders from throughout our network who will help us examine the issues that impact young Black men and boys' lives, while also helping us identify key solutions and best practices that will help us reimagine public safety and truly create spaces that are safe, healthy, and hopeful for all. On this month's episode of The Journey Continues, I sit down with Rebecca Reinhardt, who serves as the controller for Philadelphia. This conversation is important because a lot of cities are in their budget cycle and trying to decide where and how they invest their dollars. Uh, Rebecca Reinhardt and her team dropped a report in 2019 that really helped lay out, I believe, a formula that other cities and uh, could look at and really help them think about how they invest in peace and how they really reimagine public safety. Please enjoy the episode. All right. So really excited to have uh, the controller from Philadelphia with us, Rebecca Reinhardt, uh, to have a conversation about uh, uh, some of the work that she's doing in Philly, Philadelphia around this, uh, uh, around homicide prevention and funding peace and what does all that look like? Uh, So Rebecca, can you just share a little bit with us about who you are, uh, what you do and why you do it? Sure. Well, thank you, Anthony, for having me on today. It's great to be here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my, I'm Rebecca Reinhardt. I am the city controller of Philadelphia. And the city controller in Philly is the independently elected financial watchdog and uh, chief auditor over the city of Philadelphia's operations. So uh, my work is is pretty broad on the financial side, and I've also leaned into other issues uh, that have a social impact as well as a financial one. So uh, that's a, a pretty broad question of what I do and why I do it. I can keep talking uh, if you want me to talk a little bit about sort of why I ran for office or what yeah, I... Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Why did okay. you run for office and why did you run for the controller? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I actually have a financial background. So I I spent about um, seven years working in the private sector, uh, working uh, on Wall Street, actually in New York. Uh, and I um, was a managing director at one of the, the big Wall Street firms and did a lot of trading with local governments and saw how local governments didn't always spend taxpayer dollars with Wall Street in a way that was the best way for them or for for the cities. And so I really felt like I need to leave the private sector and work for government because I truly believe that government can work. I I am idealistic in that way. And I believe that we just need good people, strong people to lead government. So I left in early 08. This is a while ago now. Um, I left in early 08 to come work for the city of Philadelphia as the city treasurer. Wow. So, yeah. So I spent I spent about nine years working for the city in appointed positions working for two mayors in financial roles. I was the city treasurer, then I was budget director, 
and then I stayed on one, that was all for Mayor Nutter. And then I stayed on one year for Mayor Kenny in his cabinet as uh, the chief administrative officer. And so I feel like I definitely accomplished some things or a good amount of things working for two administrations. But I also really came to understand that the entrenchment in the political culture was what needed to be disrupted. And if I truly was going to make government work, which is my mission every single day, that I had to try to run for office because I needed, I felt that I needed to be an elected in order to disrupt things in the way that I felt like they needed to be disrupted. So I decided to run for controller because I have a financial background and I thought, well, I could do that job. <laughs> that job is right up my alley. Uh, so I thought, wow, I could do that. Um, so I, you know, I ran in uh, 2017 and I, I had to resign my job with the city in order to run just a, that's a legal requirement here. Right. And a lot of people thought I was crazy because I ran against a long-term incumbent who was supported by the party, the Democratic Party. And uh, I am a Democrat, but I ran against as the uh, challenger. Um, and uh, I won. So so that that's a little bit of background. So I came in, uh, I came into the role. And I really do think that the reason I won that election, uh, which basically anyone who said they knew anything about politics uh, said I was going to lose, right? So, um, but I, I won with 58% of the vote. And I think that what that says and is that people in our city here in Philly, they want change and they want the government to work. And, and one thing that I found going from neighborhoods and neighborhood across the city, and our neighborhoods are so different, but yet what people said to me everywhere was, we just want this government to work. Right. Um, you know, and that's what everybody wants. So so I took office in 2018 and really uh, hit the ground running using the power of the controller's office, the audit function, the investigative function to push for change in our government. Yeah, so that's the, interesting. Sure. No, I, sorry. I, I, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. That this whole idea of your your background in finance is working on Wall, Wall Street uh, and then actually coming into city government. So you have a holistic view of all of this and how it all can operate mm -hmm. uh, and how it all plays together, which I think is very interesting. And, and then I also think to your point, I think folks who have been doing political campaigning and political calculations are not taking into effect that people, there's a lot of people whose mindset, mind, minds have shifted of what they want and what they need. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you make a calculation that you can't win, but then you win by 58%, it means people need to go back to the drawing table and figure out that there, there's actually are, there's folks want to see disruption, but they want to see disruption in a way that you said that makes things works. Right. And not just work for me, but work for all or more people than it ever has before, which is an interesting tide and shift, not only in Philadelphia, but across the country as we pay attention to who's actually been elected these days. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to see. And I, and I think 
I really appreciate you sharing your background like that because it gives me a different lens on okay where you're coming from and how you come at this. Yes. Uh, and when you talked about you know hit the ground running and really just started using the power of the controller, how did homicides become one of those things that popped up on your list? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean. I took office in so January 2018, and in Philly, our homicide rate was rising. When a lot of people, a lot of cities uh, have actually, at that time, pre-pandemic, were on the decline, um, and it was something that really, it, like for many other people, really, really upset me. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt though for the first year or so that, well, that's not my lane, right? Um, I felt that I'm the city controller, I'm the auditor. Gun violence is the responsibility of, you know, the mayor and others, right? The DA, the police commissioner, the mayor's office, um, other people. But I started to feel more and more that I need to do something and that I can't just let this happen. I can't just let our kids, kids in our city die every day. It just, it, it was too much. I mean, I, my daughter is 11 uh, and um, I just felt like this, this is just, I can't even imagine it. I can't imagine losing my child and, and mothers across our city have to go through this and fathers too. And, and, and I just feel that there wasn't the outrage, um, from all electeds that there should have been. And I just decided, you know what? I don't care what my lane is. Mm. I have to do something. I have to use my voice, um, to say this isn't okay. This is a problem that has come about from decades and decades of racism and disadvantage and disinvestment and and we have to fix it and it's not it's not okay um so with that said my office said okay well then we need to come at this from a financial angle we need to do something from the financial angle because that's your job <laughs> which it is um <laughs> So we started to think about, uh, and actually a community activist here in Philly suggested, why don't you, to me, why don't you look at the cost uh, of gun violence? Um, and it sounds cold uh, to look at it that way, um, but but mm -hmm. they're, they're, because of course, I mean, the moral impact, the human impact is, is by far greater, but there is also a cost, a cost of allowing the violence to continue. Um, and I say that because there are programs that work to bring it down. As you know, it is solvable. Um, so we started to look at it that way. And uh, we released the economic impact of gun violence in our in Philadelphia, the report on that in October 2019. So, yeah, so since then, I my office and I have stayed involved in that issue and, and leaned in to try to make a difference. How did you come up with the cost, right? So you guys in, in the, in the, in the report, you put together and some recommendations to the city that talked about if you spend $30,000 $30, per homicide on prevention, 
an intervention where you could save this many lives over this amount of time, but also you'll see a return on investment as well, which I think to your point might seem old to some, but it's also a case that others can get behind, right? Uh, we know, you talked about this, everybody does not care about our kids or all kids the same way. Uh, so it is the bottom line that gets them to move. Uh, so you got to make all of those arguments because you, you never know who you're talking to. So how did you get to those numbers uh, 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 as you as you outlined in the room as a, a piece that people really never kind of get to? What does it actually cost us yeah. like, if we want to do to do the prevention and intervention work? Sure. So we uh, built upon a study that was done by a DC think tank, the Center for American Progress uh, about a decade earlier. And that study found that the biggest cost to cities uh, of gun violence was, was a bit different than what you might expect. It wasn't the hospital cost or the ambulance or various other direct costs. It was actually the impact that homicides and gun violence has on property values by depressing wow. property values. And because it depresses property values, which makes sense because people, do, no one wants to, you know, raise your, you don't want to live and raise your family in a place necessarily that, that is unsafe, right? So there's a, there's a movement out of certain neighborhoods and there's a depression of the home values. And that then results in lower tax revenues being collected uh, in, in those cities. So we updated uh, and really took a deep dive into that analysis in Philadelphia, looking at uh, homicides back many years, as well as property sales uh, for those years and aggregating all that data I have a unit in my office that focuses on data analytics. Okay. Uh, so, and that's a, a new creation that uh, that my office put together when I came in, because I really do think that we need to make much more, many more of our decisions in government based on data. So, what they, what that group found was that there is a direct correlation. Uh, between uh, homicides within a certain block area and a reduction in sales value of homes. So we then extrapolated from that what the cost is of uh, homicides and then what the revenue gained would be with a 10% reduction in the homicide rate. Because if you have... If you have a reduction in tax revenue from increasing homicides the result the reverse is also true that if you can get homicides down you actually get more taxes in um, to the city so there is a positive return on investment this all sounds so cold but there is a positive return on investment from getting the homicide rate down what that can be used for is to say, okay, so if we get the homicide rate down, there's more revenue coming into the city. Right. Therefore, we should feel comfortable putting money into programs that work because there's a positive return on investment by year two. 
And that's what we found. So just looking at it from a financial lens, for those of you, as you mentioned, Anthony, that are not motivated by the morality of fixing this issue, um, that perhaps would be motivated by a through a financial lens, that if the right programs are funded to bring the violence down, that by year two, the local government, the city actually has a positive return on investment. Wow. And we get to our desired outcome of saving kids, keeping kids alive. Absolutely. You know, the the most, them. right. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, that's <laughs> the most important part, right? And and right. Um, is that you save lives. And if you do it, you know, if you invest in, in the right programs and keep investing. And one of the, the biggest mistakes, I think, is when a local government says, oh, good, the homicide rate is down. We don't have to invest in these programs anymore because we need to keep doing it. Um, but you save lives, hundreds and hundreds of lives. Uh, and that's that's amazing. So that's the outcome that, that we all want. Yeah, and I think your argument and, and the case was right on point, right? And I think your report actually shows both sides, right? You guys were real clear that this was around saving lives. Uh, at the same time, saving resources or bringing in more resources to do more work, right? And to better support our communities, right? So the report actually showcased that, even though to your point, sometimes it's numbers. Right. Those numbers are what folks need to see and hear uh, so that they can make the right investment. Because I think what you laid out, again, was a clear strategy of how a city like Philadelphia can take uh, these the, the, the money up front and invest in a way that invest in young people and invest in people who are caught up in the cycle of violence, helping them get out, but also helping them get on a path. Because that's what those right programs that you talked about. Uh, Rebecca does is it helps people get back on track. It helps them get connected to resources. Uh, and, and those programs are needed more and more. And I also be thankful that you continue to say that you got to continue to invest. You can't just get to a number that you feel comfortable with and then you stop investing because then you're going to see it reverse and you're going to see the uptick happen again. Absolutely. What kind of impact has the report had on the uh, on the city and on the, on the conversation that's taking place at the city? Uh, has it shifted anything? Uh, are, you, uh, have, are you seeing any shifts based on this report that you put out? There's been an increase of um, more players, I think, involved in the conversation. We've been contacted by many nonprofits and others that are using the calculation that are using the return on investment numbers and the 30,000 uh, per homicide that's needed to invest as part of grant applications. Um, and there has been uh, more discussion uh, and push around implementing the right programs. I, I do think uh, that, you know, there's not the urgency that I, I would want to see from, from this administration right now, but, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that that we'll get there. Uh, a few, you know, there's definitely a few council members that have been really strong with their advocacy work um, and that I've you know, worked closely with on uh, you know, the outcome of, you know, after the report came out, Councilman Kenyatta Johnson and Council Member Jamie Gautier, they've been real leaders in this, uh, in this area. So I think that it's helped spotlight the issue and 
one thing that always has frustrated me, especially coming from a financial background is, and being the budget director of Philadelphia for five plus years, is when people say, well, there's just not any money in the budget. Right. There's always money for what you prioritize. Yep. And when there's something like this, it should, programs should be funded um, to save people's lives. And then on top of that, it even, what I want this to be used for is to say, no, like a government, a local government cannot argue that these programs um, are too expensive for the budget because they pay for themselves by year two. So um, that's what I want to sort of rebut as well, because I, I can see that that often is what's told to people, which is, oh, there's not enough money. And I don't think that should be acceptable as a response, honestly. Uh, so, so I, you know, I'm a little bit of a troublemaker, I guess, but I, I don't think that that should be acceptable. And I want to arm people with the right information um, that I have gained financially so that it isn't acceptable as a response. No, I love that. And I think that that unacceptability and not accepting that is right on point and, and holding folks and saying to folks, you know, this budget is your moral document and, and you value to your point. You, prior, you, you you pay for what you prioritize and we should be prioritizing people uh, and all people of Philadelphia over uh, the other stuff that we put on priority. Uh, when you talked a little bit about it's brought in the table, it's brought more people to the to the table mm-hmm. you highlighted some of the nonprofits and are there any unlikely people who are now saying oh I get this issue and I understand it and I want to be a part of helping find solutions uh have you seen any of that shift like who's who's your unlikely allies to have come to the table because of the report well that's interesting because I've I've actually given the, a pre- the presentation on this report to many um private sector groups and developers and uh, private companies that um, I feel like they just need to know mm-hmm. <laughs> this. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's one of the things that I feel that I can, where I can add value is to bring, to make people have to become educated <laughs> that um, in the, uh, that perhaps didn't even know they needed to be educated mm-hmm. on the topic. And so I think that in, in those groups, there's been such um, interest, uh, which I found very heartening, very, very, um, really good thing, which is that I've gotten feedback. Oh, wow. If there's a positive return on investment, then um, if you have the right program, let me know and I I might be interested in investing in it because I don't want to give just to the city, but mm-hmm. if you have the right program that actually has an ROI, that's a language that business people understand. And while the problem of gun violence is such, to many business people, the problem is such a, a large problem that if it's brought down to look if you invest in this program this program works like most of the time if you invest in it then um there's a positive return on investment to the city so it it does sound cold but it's also a way to bring more people in um and and that is something that i feel like everyone 
should be caring. And if they don't care, then I'm going to make them care. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I, I just, I just feel like it's just so, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. I'll stop. No, no, no. That's appreciated. And I think that's the thing, right? So, you know, but when you think about, again, in your seat and like other elected officials, right, you guys have huge convening authority. Uh, folks come to a table to hear what you say, have to say, I want to be a part of it. How are you using your office? Because there's a lot of people involved in this conversation, right, from the city. They sure. have their own office who focus on this. You just talked about the council members who are focused on this. You talked about the nonprofits, the activists, down the business leaders. Who's convening that table? Is that your role or who who's who's leading that for the city so that this more coordinated and aligned? That is a great question. And um, my office has done some convening on that front. I think traditionally it would fall uh, to uh, the mayor to do that type of convening, but it is something that I've gotten involved in, for example, Uh, right now, my office is working with a, cute, a few community activists to get uh, a really uh, credible street outreach program up and running. We so brought. Sorry. Oh well, we're live on a podcast, so I don't think I'm. A, I don't think we're ready to announce it yet, right? I'll tell. I could tell you off the record, but <laughs> can you? I, I, I lost you for a second. Can you repeat that when you talked about it's the mayor's responsibility? Because I didn't catch it all. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I just said that uh, my office has done some convening, absolutely. I think traditionally that role perhaps would go more towards the mayor to do that type of convening, but my office has done some of it because I want it to happen. And uh, so we have convened groups of uh, certain business leaders, uh, uh, political leaders, Um, community activists uh, and um, foundation, one a foundation here in Philadelphia uh, to to get everyone aligned that we need to have a plan um, and invest in the right things. So uh, we have been doing some of that. No, I appreciate that, and we'll hold off the record thing just for a minute because I do want to hear about your announcement. That you, it's just that uh, off the record okay yes off the record because i don't okay want, cool cool uh, i don't want to put this out and then people are looking at you like hey so no we'll hold, we'll hold. okay great <laughs> great uh so as you think about uh you guys are all i don't know where philadelphia is but a lot of cities are in their budget cycles now uh planning for the next fiscal year preparing for that uh do you actually as a office do you all participate in that do you get to advocate and influence that in any way uh what role do you all have in the overall city budget and process so as the controller i don't have an official role in that the mayor's office proposes city council approves uh but um I have gotten involved. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so, no, I mean, last year, my office released an alternative budget proposal to the mayor's proposal uh, and gave ideas for balancing the budget uh, during the pandemic um, that were not raising taxes or severe cuts to some departments in the arts. And city council did use uh, my office's work as part of 
uh, what they looked at in changing, making some changes around the mayor's proposed budget. And this year we'll do the same, my office will do the same thing. My, my view is as the fiscal watchdog that uh, my voice needs to be out there in my in terms of um, how the city's money is spent and is it spent in a way that benefits uh, the most people in our city and truly uh, makes a dent uh, in solving the issues of our city. So this budget year, because of the American Rescue Plan money coming in, um, the city actually has money, um, <laughs> which which is is an opposite issue, right? So instead of looking at the bare bones fiscal crisis, uh, Philly is set to get one point four billion dollars from the American Rescue Plan. Wow. It's a lot. I mean, even for Philly, it's a lot that because uh, the the just for a sense of scale, the budget shortfall that was announced by the mayor before the American Rescue Plan passed was about four hundred and fifty million. Wow! And now we're getting one point four billion. They got almost a billion to mess around with, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I might say it a little differently, but... um, (laughs) To plan and do better, right? No, 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 that's all good, Anthony. Um, (laughs) Even if, you know, uh, even if the city were to uh, use a portion to replenish reserves that were used, there's still a good 700 million for investment, which is a lot. And... What I right, the mayor's proposed budget, which was put out um, April fifteenth, basically uses a big portion of the American Rescue Plan money to sort of go back to where uh, to just increase spending, right? Mm-hmm. To go back where we were, and I just I want to make sure that that money is truly used in a strategic way to address some of these issues, such as gun violence in our city, that we need to be making very specific investments into programs. And then we need to be tracking those programs to see if they succeed, um, to see which programs we should be scaling up and which we should be eliminating. So I I just think that there needs to be um, a lot of thought that goes into this money because it's really a once in a lifetime infusion uh, to our city. It's amazing how much money we're getting. So I, 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 I will be releasing something. My office will be releasing uh, something on this in May and the budget needs to be passed by the end of June. No, I think that's right, and I, and I like the way you described it better than I did. So I appreciate that. <laughs> oh no, Anthony! <laughs> no, I, no, no. I respect no. you so much, so I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's better for the listeners to hear because that's the whole thing that we're saying to our partner cities as well. You know, as you plan for these dollars to come in, we're suggesting folks put aside five to ten percent just to focus on community peace and community violence. And what would that look like? Uh, and I know the folks out in LA, there's a group of folks who are pushing for like 30% of their dollars. They're asking for 430 million. Wow. Uh, but I think to your point, folks need to be aligning and, and recommending this is a t- this is an opportunity 
to your point, to really invest mm-hmm. in infrastructure and, and in systems that can change the course of what the city could look like in the next two to three to four to five years, uh, the way you outline it. And, and uh, more people need to be hearing that and saying that, right? So again, I do appreciate you being at the forefront of this and really thinking through. I know you're doing it for Philly, uh, but we are paying attention to you and sharing that stuff with the with our network, which is across the country, because I think it's important for folks to see all the different players at the table, to your point, who should and could uh, make an impact on this issue that we all care about. Uh, and I think a lot of folks don't know that they have that power, right? So I'm glad you decided just to step in. Yeah. Right. You're an elected official who can who can set an agenda. So you sat one and you're moving on it. And I was really, really appreciative because I think not too many people do that. Oh, thank you, Anthony. So, uh, you know, you ran for a purpose and a reason and, 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 and this is it. And I think to your point, too, we're at a moment in time where we can really, truly invest in the safety nets and in people in uh, this whole country that could alleviate a lot of the social ills that we have created through structural racism and other structural issues uh, that we can turn the tide uh, and start anew. But folks got to be bold and willing to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more that it's it's a real opportunity right now. Uh, and, and I think that, I think that uh, people need to understand uh, I mean, you just mentioned that the, that we're at a point where we can fix uh, the decades and de- or work towards fixing the decades mm-hmm. and decades of, of issues caused by uh, structural racism. I think that people need to to understand um, that where that collective responsibility comes from. Right? That that uh, that there's a all of us share in a collective responsibility for the problems because of the racist policies that were set. So um, that that's something I, I do talk about a lot because it's not something, honestly, that they teach in most schools for a lot of white people <laughs> don't know it, honestly. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I, I uh, just want to make sure people understand that and, and that it, it sinks in so because it's it's heavy and it's important to understand no absolutely i think that's right and i and i, and I appreciate you under and, and underscoring that a lot of white folks just don't get it and, under, and don't get taught it uh mm-hmm. we need to do better even in our educational system and being just truthful about our history uh and then truthful about where we can make options because i think you know most of the times elected officials when resources come in, they want to do all, right? We want to make sure everybody, but sometimes you've got to be really clear and targeted if you truly want to make the impact that you can and should mm-hmm. uh, to change the course of your city and change the course of this country. Uh, you know, we believe at Cities United that, you know, if we all, if we can get cities to start reimagining and rethinking and repurposing their budgets, uh, we can get to a place where, you know, we can break this cycle of balance, we can dismantle some systems of inequity and really invest long-term in the things that we know work for all of us uh, and create a space where everybody can, you know, uh, be able to thrive. It takes a minute to get people behind that, but having folks like you and others in office who push for that, I think is the, is the key for us. Last question I have uh, is really around what's giving you hope in this moment uh, and what keeps you motivated to keep doing this work? Because you're in re-election mode, so what, what, what keeps you motivated to stay put and keep moving this agenda? 
Uh, well, um, what keeps me motivated? I mean, the community members that are doing uh, good work that uh, the the future of our of our city that it's that's at stake um, the kids you know I I, um, I I just feel that that these problems are solvable mm. they're solvable and what it depends on is people that are uh, leaders leaning in and empowering those in the community that are doing good work that have the access to the people that need help and i i think that we all have an obligation to do that so to me in terms of what motivates me is that i can see that these problems are solvable and we just have to do it and i i just uh um truly feel that and you know i i love the people of of philly i it's such a great city and so uh, I, I'm just motivated every day by the people here, and uh, we just have to, to solve these issues, and 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 we will. No, love that, love that. And again, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you for deciding to run <laughs> thank for you. office and then share and step up in leadership. Uh, and thank you for yeah, just serving in Philadelphia and beyond. Uh, your work is going to have an impact, I believe, uh, not only in your city, but across this country. So really thankful for your time and effort. Uh, and if we could ever, you know, you know, as I told you before, we share your report with a lot of folks because uh, we think it's a valuable report uh, and one that gives a clear case of how to move forward. Uh, so you and your team did a hell of a job with that. So just want to thank you for your time uh, and leave you an opportunity. Any last words you want to leave our audience with? Uh, I just want to say thank you, Anthony. You're you're doing great work, and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. So we just have to solve these issues, and we will. We will absolutely. We will absolutely. That's why we do the work we do because we believe we can, uh, and we know we can. So again, thank you for making time, uh, and thank you for all that you do in Philadelphia and beyond. Talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. Talk to you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Journey Continues. I want to give a special thank you to our guests for joining us and sharing their wisdom and their knowledge. Join us every month as we elevate new voices, strategies, and resources to help us reimagine public safety and move us closer to our vision to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for all young Black men and boys and their families. I want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Levi Strauss & Company. As a global, iconic leader, Levi Strauss & Company knows that what they do and say matter. That's why they have pledged to support gun violence prevention efforts by providing grants to nonprofits who are working to end gun violence across the country. By elevating the stories of grassroots organizations who are successfully implementing violence prevention strategies in their communities and funding nonprofits who use digital tools and platforms to empower and lift up the voices of youth activists, Levi's believe that we can counter the gun violence epidemic in this country and make communities around this nation safer. To learn more about their goals, please visit their website at levistrauss.com. That's L-E-V-I-S-T-R-A-U-S-S dot com. We look forward to continuing this journey with you. Peace. See you next month.